Take your Bibles and go to Psalm 139. That was the uh, text that was uh, read uh, for us this morning. And uh, today, on uh, Father's Day, we are going to unpack three particular attributes of God. God's omnipotence, which means he's all-powerful. God's omniscience, which means he knows everything. And God's omnipresence, which means that God is everywhere. I think it's fitting on Father's Day that we talk about these three particular attributes because what dad wouldn't want to be all-powerful, what dad wouldn't want to be all-knowing, for sure, and uh, what, God, what, what uh, dad wouldn't want to be everywhere. So um, the reality is, is that when you have younger children, they tend to think that those things are true about their dad. And then they become teenagers and they realize what a sham it all was, right? <laughs> When you're a kid, you see your dad, you see him wield a sledgehammer, and you think, man, dad is strong, and you feel his muscles on his arms, and you're like, man, my dad can bench 75 pounds, he's really strong. <laughs> and you think your dad's all-knowing, he knows amazing information about all sorts of things. You ask him questions, and he has answers, and, and uh, he's a master of his field, and and then there's just the sense that, that your dad could just kind of be around a corner and, and he's just like right there. Or, or maybe your dad has one of those apps that we used to. It was called Life360 and it was an app that could tell us where our kids were and a particular setting could actually track their entire movements throughout the course of the day. And I could be like, hey, where were you, right? So I could be everywhere. I could watch them and stalk them and things of that sort, right? So there's not just helicopter moms, but there's helicopter dads, right? Kind of um, guys who think that they're all knowing all-powerful, and everywhere. The fact of the matter is, though, that uh, a dad can't be all of that, and somewhere in the teen years, you begin to realize that my dad's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, and he's not everywhere. I remember one time I was having a conversation with one of our sons uh, about parenting. They were asking me some questions about kind of why we do the things that we do as a family and things of that sort. He started asking some pretty penetrating questions, and I said, well, yeah, well, we really don't have a reason for that. We just, just kind of the way we do it. And then he asked another question. I said, well, yeah, we really didn't know what we were doing with that. We just decided to do it this way. And then he asked another question. I gave him the same answer. By the fourth time around, he kind of tilted his head and looked at me. And I said, yeah, here's the thing. We, we really just have not known what we're doing for all these years. And you're just <laughs> figuring it out. You know, so, so you move from your, your, your young child years to your teenage years. And you, you realize that, you know what? Dads aren't perfect. They're They're limited. And now, if we're honest, for some of you, that's a no-brainer, because uh, Father's Day is not a great day for you. Your, um, your dad used his authority as a, in an abusive way. Dad used his knowledge to be condescending. And uh, it wasn't that your dad wasn't everywhere, it's that he was nowhere. And so this, for some of you, is a painful day. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that God's omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence does this. It humbles the best dad in the world and reminds him that he's not God. And it also brings comfort to those who have been terribly disappointed by their earthly fathers. So whether you had a good dad or a bad dad, here's the thing from Psalm 139. God is not like your dad. He's so much greater so much more glorious, and I hope to be able to show you this from Psalm 139 this morning. We're talking about the attributes of God. This is the third week. Two weeks ago, we talked about the triunity of God, that he's Father, Son, and Spirit. Last week, uh, 
Pastor Nate delivered a great message from Isaiah chapter six on the holiness of God and how God's righteousness and his holiness is so implicit in who he is as God. And this week, we're going to unpack these three attributes, and what I want you to see is this. Here's the hope, that God knows you, that God is with you, and that God can save you. That his omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence are incredibly hopeful attributes. So let's walk through these. First, God knows you. Psalm 139 begins with this theme of the knowledge of God. Verse one says this, O Lord, and this is, this is like a, a prayer, this is an offering of praise, this is not a statement of fact, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. What's interesting is this idea of God's knowledge, it's how the psalm starts, and then take your Bible and look at verse 23, how it ends. So <clears throat> the psalmist designs this treatment of the knowledge of God to begin the psalm and to end the psalm. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. So the idea is that the psalmist is focusing here on the knowledge of God. That's the main point about this psalm. And then the omnipotence of God and the omnipresence of God fit underneath this theme, not as though the omniscience of God is the most important, but it's the main target, and then he pulls in these other three attributes. What we find here about the knowledge of God is that the omniscience of God pushes the boundaries of what we can even think about. It shows us how different God is for us, and then at the same time what it does is it demonstrates God's incredible love and his compassion for us. So verse one starts, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. To say that God has searched us and to say that he has known us means that God looks deeply into all of our lives. There's nothing about your life, nothing about my life, that isn't perfectly plain to God. When you woke up this morning and realized it was Sunday, God heard the thought in your head, whether you were like, yes, or whether you're like, ugh. When you walked in the hallway today and you saw somebody and you're like, oh, I like that person. And when you saw someone, you're like, ew, God knew what's going on inside your mind and heart. And yet this intimate knowledge of God about us results not only in God knowing us, but also God loving us. In fact, the word know comes from a Hebrew word that has the intimate knowledge, even intimate sexual knowledge between a husband and wife. That's the word that's used. So God's knowledge of us then leads to his relationship with us. It's the same thing that Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 14 when he said this, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. So part of the beauty of the knowledge of God of us is that we would then stand back and marvel at God's grace to us. In other words, God knows you better than you know yourself, and yet through Christ he loves you in a way that rescues you from yourself. 
Now in verses two to five, he adds more color to God's knowledge. Let's look at it. Verse two, he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. So God knows everything about your day. He knows what happened yesterday. He knows what happened last week. He knows what time you went to bed last night. He knows what time you woke up this morning. The point is this, is that God is is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And then he says, you discern my thoughts from afar. What, What this means is that God knows our thoughts no matter where we are. It means that no matter where you go, no matter what position in life you're in, God always knows your thoughts. Verse three, you search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. So God knows where you've been, he knows where you are, and he knows what your future holds. God knows every directional point in your life. And that's really important because there's probably some of you who are coming here this morning and you're right at the crossroads of some major decision, like a career move or maybe a relationship that's starting or you're trying to figure out what to do in this particular scenario as it relates to this person and you're right at this crossroad and the hope of Psalm 139 is this, is God not only knows the future, God's already in the future. Verse four. This is a little scary. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Okay, so God not only knows all the things that we've said that we shouldn't have said, he knows the things that we've thought about saying that we didn't say. And he knows them clearly. Now just think about what that's all about. God knows all of those words. For example, yesterday I had to go pick something up from a, a, a business that I won't name here publicly and as I picked up my thing, the person at the um, checkout counter said, okay, sign or um, print and sign. And I only heard the person say sign, so I just signed. And the person looked at me and said, print and sign. There's a lot going on in my head in that moment. I said, okay. It's total fake. Inside I was like, (laughs) inside I was like, I won't go there. So the Lord knows what was going on inside my soul and he knows what I said, which was fairly righteous, although not humble now, and then also what was unrighteous. So just think of how many words that you've said that you shouldn't have said. Think of how many thoughts you've thought that you shouldn't have thought. And the Bible says that God knows all of them. Verse five, you hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand on me. It means that God knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows the future. So what the psalmist does is he takes this idea of God's omniscience, and rather than talk about it as some sort of big theological category, he dials it down into the personal level. He connects it to his life in a meaningful way. But this is only one aspect or one application of the omniscience of God. To say that God is all-knowing, if we take a step back, means that there is no limit to what God knows. There's nothing he needs to learn. Think of that. God knows all of everything that ever needs to be known right now. Past, present, and future are categories that we construct in terms of our understanding of reality and of our understanding of knowledge, but God doesn't operate that way. He knows all things in and of himself. His knowledge is undivided, it's simple, it's unchangeable, it's eternal. He knows everything instantaneously, simultaneously, from eternity, and all things are eternally present to his mind's eye. That's how big and broad and glorious and deep God's knowledge is. 
It's remarkable. Prophet Isaiah says this, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. So you need to think about God's knowledge as central to his otherness. God's omniscience makes him different from us, so different that our minds can hardly ever comprehend it. Every once in a while we get a little glimpse, like when somebody does something really good that you're not good at and you just look at what they do and you go, wow, that was amazing. I, I had this experience uh, last week, I took, as a part of our wedding weekend, took my three boys out golfing and they've not golfed ever. And um, so they're trying to hit a seven iron, you know, off the, the tee box. And I stepped up with the driver. And I'm not a, that great of a golfer. I'm not. But there was one shot that I just cranked. And it went through the sky. And the boys stood in the back. This is a great moment. Like, I'm going to save this forever. And they were like, wow. <laughs> and I twirled the club, put it in the bag. I was like, phew, yeah. You know? <laughs> and in, in that moment, I felt otherworldly, right? And, and then I sprayed the next one and the next one and the next one, you know what I'm saying? But in that moment, like, like they're looking at that drive, they're thinking, wow, that's amazing. Maybe you feel the same way when you talk to a surgeon who can cut open a human body and put his or hands inside a cavity of a human and fix things so that God can bring healing. Or maybe you see somebody who can run a riff on a guitar or sing an incredible song or somebody who understands how a computer works and they can just click, 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 and they fix it. And you're like, what? How come I can't do that? And you get this sense of just they're other in that category. God is like that in every area. His knowledge, his understanding is completely beyond our ability to understand or know. And yet at a personal level, here's what that means. God knows the inner workings of the human heart. He knows the hidden facts of our lives. There's nothing that you've thought, said, done that God doesn't know. Does that make you feel a little uncomfortable? Some of you may even feel a little bit fearful with what I've just said. And, and in fact, that, that wouldn't be all that bad. Because if you're on the wrong side of an all-knowing God, think of what it would be like to stand before him He's your creator, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every motive, every action, every thought, every word you've ever said. That, that's a scary place to be. And, and yet the Bible has a solution for that. The Bible tells us that because of the atonement of Christ, all of what God knows about us can be covered by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means that you've trusted Christ for the forgiveness of the sins that people know about and all the sins that nobody knows about. And that's why God's mercy through Christ is so incredible because here's the thing, God still knows, but he also chooses to forgive because of Christ. It's not that God forgets, it's that God knows and he still applies mercy. So think of this, God knows everything about your life. He knows the plans for your future. That means for some of you, you're in the middle of some confusing circumstances right now, and, and you may not understand why everything is happening. You may be in the middle of some really painful circumstance, and here's the thing. The Bible tells us that God knows the future, and you can trust him. 
You see, you may not know what is going on right now, but God does. One of the great things about being older is to be able to look back and to see the way that God was orchestrating the events in the past. To be able to have a little bit more history in the rearview mirror, it, it helps because in the midst of maybe the dark side of God's will, when you wonder what in the world is going on, you can think back of maybe 10 years ago when you wondered the same question and now you can see it more clearly. That God proved, has proven his faithfulness and his ability to navigate the complexity of our lives. This is why verse six is so important. Some of you may need to underline that verse in your Bible and come back to it, because in the midst of uncertainty, you need to be reminded that such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. The psalmist breaks out in praise. He says, God, you know, I don't, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna rest in you. The omniscience of God helps us to trust that God knows, he knows me. Here's the second thing, not only in regards to God's omniscience, but now we find that God's omnipresence, God is with you. This attribute means that God is present in every part of the creation that he has made. It means that God is not bound by space or by time. It means that he is infinite, that God is everywhere, that there is no place inaccessible to him. Even the things that we think about in terms of time and space and travel, and activity, they're all contained within God's essence. He's beyond all of them and dwells in them in his created order. So that everywhere that God can be, he is. Everywhere he could be, he is. He is close to everything and next to everyone. So here's the thing, God's omnipresence means that God is near. I wouldn't have you raise your hand on this, but my guess, if I were to ask you, how many of you are deeply lonely today? There'd be a lot more hands raised than what we would consider. That, that sense of nobody understands. Well, the text says that God is always with us. Verse seven asks a couple rhetorical questions. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Now, when you read that, there's one of two ways to go. Either first, you could take this as the psalmist trying to run from God, like, I'm running from you, but where could I go from your spirit? Or it could be a statement of praise and adoration where he's relishing the fact that there's no place that he can go that God isn't. So, which of the two is it? Well, when you read your Bible, one of the ways to discern which way the text is going is by what was previously stated in the text. And previous, there's this, this posture of worship. The, the psalmist is extolling God for his knowledge. And so it seems to me that he's not running from God, but rather he's praising God again in verse seven by identifying that there's no place that he can go to get away from God's presence. He, he then gives a series of examples. In verse eight, he says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So the idea is this, and he's using poetic language. He's saying, no matter how high I go or no matter how low I go, you're there. God, you're in heaven and you're in Sheol. Now that can mean the grave. It can also be translated as hell. The, the psalmist, listen, is not trying to make a theological argument here. You might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's in hell? Well, it depends what you mean. At one level, you could say yes, as it relates to God's presence of his, of the presence of his rule. So God rules over hell. 
Or in another way, you could say no as it relates to fellowship with God. So hell, by definition, is separation from God, separation from fellowship from him. And the idea is the psalmist is simply saying this, no matter how I go, how high I go, or how low I go, God, you're there. And then he says, no matter if I go east or if I go west, look at verse nine, if I take up the wings of the morning, so the morning is in the east, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, that's to the west, he says, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So the idea is no matter how high or how low you're there, no matter how far east I go, how far west I go, even there your hand will lead me. So for those of you that are in the middle of a pretty major transition or something that's on your future that's really uncertain, maybe something that's potentially positive or something that could be a little scary, this text reminds us of something important. And this may be the whole reason why God woke you up and brought you to church today. It's because that no matter where you go, God's already there in your future and you can just rest and trust and ask him to comfort you with his presence. He's leading you even now. Through all the challenges, his right hand holds you. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is Joshua 1.9. And I can't think of how many times I've quoted this passage to my own heart in order to remind me that God has promised that he'll never leave me. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid, and don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So no matter how high I go, no matter how low I go, no matter east or west, and then no matter what kind of moment I'm in, he says, surely the darkness, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and light about me be night. So it's, it's not that he's trying to run away from God, trying to hide himself in the darkness, I don't think. Instead, I think what he's talking about here is the overwhelming challenge emotionally of the dark night of the soul. He says in verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You see, there's, there's something inherently negative about darkness, isn't there? If you're picking up a novel, and it begins the first line, it was a dark, dark night. I mean, you know, like, uh-oh. Like, you can hear the soundtrack, you know, Right? You can hear that, like dark, dark night. Oh no, something bad's happening. Or if the book starts, it was a bright, bright morning. You know, oh, something good's gonna happen. Right? So the, the darkness here is this foreboding sense that something is wrong. New American Standard translates this the darkness, when the darkness overwhelms me. I'll tell you, if you've ever walked through a deep season of grief or a time of uncertainty, you know the overwhelming sense of isolation that comes. And it often comes at night. You could have had a great day all day and then the sun sets and suddenly the dark clouds of despair begin to come in and you begin to maybe even feel this sense of loneliness. Thoughts run through your head about, am I gonna be okay? Has God forgotten about me? Verse 12 tells us that God not only knows about our struggles, but for him, the darkness is like light. There is no darkness. For God, every sorrow that may feel overwhelming does not negate the presence of God. There's nothing in this world that's outside of God's presence. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in 
The book of Romans says that nothing can separate us from the presence of God. He says no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's what what this means. It means that God is in every place. He is everywhere. Listen, he's present in every pain. He's at work in every circumstance. Because in Jesus, nothing can separate you from God's love. So can I just, I pray with a a lady after first service, just, just so overcome I don't know the burdens or the problems that were going on in her life, but I, I know this. She needed to hear this singular message. It's this. God is with you. You're not alone. He knows about the rejection. He knows about the fear. He knows about the uncertainty. He knows how scary the future looks. He knows all of those things. And here's the lie that you cannot believe from the enemy. You cannot believe that you are alone. God is with you. God knows you, he's with you. Here's the third thing, the text tells us that God can save you. The final omni relates to God's omnipotence. The point is, is that there is no one or no thing more powerful than God. He has the divine authority and the strength to accomplish his purposes. He possesses absolute power. He acts in accordance with his sovereign will. And in order to make this point personal and clear, the psalmist goes right to the womb right to the womb. He talks about his own formation. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. You see, he goes to the womb. Now we have the benefit in 21st century with technology that we get little glimpses into the womb. I mean, technology was amazing back in 1996 when I first saw the grainy flutter of two heartbeats in a OB office. Remember the moment the nurse wrote down fetus A? And I was like, fetus A? <laughs> I said, that means there's a, and she said, fetus B, right? <laughs> oh, I said, I was like, what? What? And I just remember the, the, the beautiful little images of a little, little lives that were inside my wife's womb. Over time, you get to see more pictures. Nowadays, we have 3D imagery. I mean, it's remarkable, but imagine if you're an Old Testament person. You have no ability to see what's happening in the womb. You see the growing signs of life, you see movement, and then one day, after labor and delivery, a new life emerges. So the psalmist looks at that and says, that clearly demonstrates the beauty of God's power. He uses words like, formed my inward parts. You knit me together. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in verse 14. He says, my frame was not hidden from you. I was made in secret. I was woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. So what is he doing? He's marveling at God's creative power. And then he's, he's, he's pointing at how personal this power really is for him. And listen, is it not the same for you? God orchestrated all of the events of your life. 
He puts you into the family that you're in. He gave you the, the, the appearance that you have. He gave you the gifts that he's given you. All of the circumstances in your life, including the hard ones, are all orchestrated by a powerful God who loves you and is for you. And that's why in verse 17, the psalmist breaks out in praise. He says, how precious are your thoughts, O God. He looks back at all the ways that God has acted and he considers what God has done in order to rescue him. What's more, when you understand the beauty of God's power, it then also relates to a division in your soul between loving righteousness and hating what is contrary to God, which is why he says in verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God, oh, men of blood, depart from me. He's, he hates what God hates. He says, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. In other words, when you understand how great God is, when you understand that he's all-knowing and all-powerful and omnipresent, then it makes the, the waywardness of the world grieve your heart. He says in verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Now he's using these words in order to communicate the angst of his soul. He's not using this in terms of sinful hate or sinful classification of enemies. Rather, what he's saying is this. Look, I love who you are, God, and I love what you love, and I don't like what you don't like. These are strong words because he loves the omnipotence of God. The text ends then in verse 23 with this. Search me, O God. Notice he opens up his heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So if God is all-knowing and always with us and all-powerful, then this should lead you to turn toward him, not away from him. God's omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence should draw you towards his grace for the mercy and help that you need. Listen, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, these attributes of God, the fact that he knows you, he knows everything about you, it, if you're understanding what I'm saying, it should create a little bit of an angst in your soul, like, man, that's a little scary. And if it is, then you're hearing what the Bible says. But I got good news for you. The Bible also says that what God knows to be true about us can be forgiven by the offering of his son. The Bible tells us that Jesus came into the world in order to deal with the sins that we've committed and the sins of our motivations. And if you're not yet a Christian, the invitation today from Psalm 139 is to run to Christ so that you can be on the right side of a righteous and holy God who knows you better than you know yourself. God has made the payment for our sins possible through the offering of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, can I just invite you even now just to sort of open your heart? Would you invite God's inquiry into the state of your soul? Dad, can I invite you to just humbly consider that he knows everything about you and to maybe make this Father's Day a day where you say, you know, I'm gonna turn from ungodliness and from unrighteousness in some areas of my life. I need to turn towards righteousness and truth and ask God, lead me in the way of everlasting. Help me to be a godly man, a godly father so my children can follow Christ as I follow him. Do you take some time just to talk to the Lord about your heart? Tell him if you have some doubts. 
open your heart to him about your fears. You know, what's amazing is God already knows it's there, and yet he still loves you. In fact, this message today may be part of God's divine plan for your life, to help you to know that he knows you, he's with you, and he can help you. He's greater than any father figure in your life, however great or however lacking. There is no one like him in the entire universe. The God who knows you better than you know yourself is the God who loves you with a sovereign love that you can't find in yourself. A.W. Tozer says this, and to us who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us in the gospel, how unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet and expose us. No unsuspected weakness in our character can come to light to turn God away from us. Why? Since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Wow. God knows you. God is with you. Through Christ, God can save you. God loves you. That is the beauty of who our God, our Heavenly Father, is. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are all of what we've just heard and so much more. Human words, English words, cannot possibly adequately carry the weight of what you are like. And yet we pray now that you, by your spirit, might apply them in our lives. For those today, God, who feel lonely, I'll thank you that you are with them. For those who are wrestling with fear of what could happen, thank you that you're a God who's all-powerful. And God, for those who are just wondering how all of the circumstances of their lives are gonna work out. We thank you that you are a God who knows everything and nothing takes you by surprise. Even the crucifixion of your own son, thank you, God, that you're working out your plan. So bring comfort and help and conviction as we bask in the truth of your word today, that you know us, God, that you're with us, and that you can save us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.